Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. Today our topic is accessibility overlays. And for some of you, it might be very familiar because you've been in the thick of the controversy of over-accessibility over accessibility overlays over the past few months. And for some, it, this may be a completely new topic. And my goal here is to educate people who may not be aware what, of what accessibility overlays are, how they're supposed to work, and how, unfortunately, they are not working for in the best interests of people with blindness, visual impairments, and other needs for accessibility accommodations in digital, uh, in websites. And I wanted to talk to someone who had sort of been in the trenches of the discussion of accessibility overlays. And that person is with me right now. And her name is Holly Scott Gardner. She is an accessibility advocate, a writer, a postgraduate student in social public policy at the University of Leeds. Hello, Holly. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to have you. I, I know you've done a lot of uh, speaking and talking about accessibility overlays and, and why they are an issue for so many folks. But I think it's important that we sort of start at the beginning. And, and as I say, for some of our audience, this is going to be really basic stuff. But for others, it might be a little eye-opening. And let's talk a little bit about what digital accessibility from a web perspective is. What, what problem are we trying to solve when we make our websites accessible? Well, what we're trying to do is give, in, in the most broad sense of the word, the m greatest number of people access to our content. So maybe you own a business or maybe you write a blog and you want your audience to be able to access it and you want them to be able to, you know, consume your content. And so accessibility, what it does is it allows in typically disabled people who are using assistive technologies who maybe access the computer slightly differently from a non-disabled person to access that content. And so in some cases that might mean using a screen reader on a desktop or a mobile devices, device or high contrast type if people have visual impairments and there are even accessibility methods that are employed to make it easier for folks with cognitive disabilities to, to use websites. Yeah, accessibility covers really the broadest range of people. I mean, it, it could be something like rather than when you're buying a ticket, having a quite short timer, it could be not having a timer on that page to allow someone who's maybe not so familiar with using technology. That would be accessibility. So that person doesn't even have to be disabled. That's a very good point. And there's this sort of catch-all phrase that I never really like, which which is everybody will become disabled in some way, but it's it's poss at some time in their life. But it's possible that any website at any given time, if accessibility isn't taken into account, could become inaccessible for someone for any number of reasons that may or may not have to do with disability. Yeah, yeah. If you're using, you know, if you're in a country where there isn't such a good internet connection, I think of an example, I lived in South America for a year and sometimes I wouldn't have a very good connection. So for me, if something was timed, that could be really stressful and that had nothing to do with my blindness. <laughs> sure. Well, let's talk about what that means for people who build websites then. Obviously, the goal is to get everybody to be thoughtful about accessibility when they're making websites so that the most people can use them. But it has developed into sort of a, an, an industry where there are firms that will assist businesses in building websites or that have worked to make CMSs more accessible. 
And that has been, from my point of view, and tell me what you think, that's that's both bad and good for accessible accessibility because there are people out there who are, you know, offering themselves up as as uh, skillful in in helping people make their websites as accessible as they can possibly be. Yeah, I think as you say, it's both good and bad. Ultimately, it's good because there are many many people who need a website who don't necessarily have the skills to build a good website and they're going to throw something together using say Squarespace and they just need to drag and drop right but unless those third-party systems produce accessible content they'll have no idea how to make their website accessible so they may pay someone who knows how and that's then good for us as the end user obviously there's this flip side to it where you think actually if this is a profitable industry then almost the people who are making things accessible benefit from things not being accessible because then it gives them work. So I think it's it's, it's this really weird situation where, um, I mean, you could say the same with the whole nonprofit sector, really. You know, it's, it's very much that, that whole thing. They only exist because there's a problem. And it, it's very difficult. And I, I don't think the answer is get rid of the accessibility industry. I think it's that one day perhaps we'll need less of an industry because hopefully everyone will be aware of accessibility but i'm sure those people who are um you know smart and skilled and who care about other human beings i'm sure they'll go on to do something else really good so i have faith in in the industry (laughs) sure and there's always evolution because web development evolves as do what we as does what we know about making things accessible and the software and the platforms that we're using to to work on evolve too so there's always going to be some kind of need to make sure accessibility continues to be thought of when people are developing sites and new web developers come along who may not always have been you know raised up to make the most accessible sites and unfortunately it, web accessibility sometimes gets a bad rap because there are people out there who essentially threaten businesses or sue them because of inaccessibility. And sometimes those lawsuits are certainly uh, are certainly appropriate because businesses have chosen to not make their sites completely accessible. And that's in contravention of laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act and, and other laws. And, and then, unfortunately, there are people who pursue monetary damages without real regard to whether accessibility is maintained. And that gives the profession kind of a bad name. Yeah, I think it's really, really unfortunate. And I think these people are a minority. But as with any group, we always say that there's this really vocal minority who can do the most damage, you know, within any kind of group. And I think it's the same in this situation. You know, most accessibility professionals, most lawyers who work in the field of accessibility, most disabled people, we're not out here to make money. Um you know, perhaps we will get involved in lawsuits because we've tried negotiating and we've tried supporting people and giving them information and they will not budge. And I think this is particularly the case with huge businesses. I mean, the case a lot of people think of is the Domino's pizza case. You know, Domino's did not want to make their content accessible and they took this all the way to the Supreme Court and they ended up losing. So they spent far more money than they would have if they just made it accessible. And they're clearly a business who has the money to make their content accessible. Um, And they just chose to say no. 
So sometimes, as you say, we don't have a choice. Um, I think the majority of us would rather solve the situation at the negotiation stage. And I have lots of examples of this in my own life where I've kind of reached out to app developers or website developers and said, hey, you know, I'm a blind person who really wants to access your content. This is what I can't do. Can we have a chat? And I've come across so many people who are really willing to talk to me and to make fixes and and for us as disabled people that's ideal because we don't want to go to court i certainly don't i think it's really really stressful oh absolutely not to mention as you mentioned as you said ex- expensive yeah. and and i think the flip side of that is i i think there is sometimes a naive belief that we can negotiate this because reasonable people can all agree that everything should be as accessible as possible to all people but that doesn't mean a company like Domino's or any of the other companies that have been successfully sued are agreeing with that, either because they don't want to spend the money or in, in Domino's case, they seem to be making some sort of larger point about not being forced to provide accessible content because the person who sued could have gotten his pizza in some other way than on the website, but because he wanted to use the website, which he had a right to do, uh, he sued and they fought him. And as you say, they spent a lot of money and they lost in the Supreme Court. Yeah, I think it's really, really sad. As you say, most reasonable people would just say, well, of course, you should have access to this. And this is something that I come across when I speak with individuals all the time. They go, but surely everyone wants to make their content accessible. And I'm like, no, I think the majority of people do. And there's definitely situations where someone would like to, they just don't know how. That happens a lot. But we do come across people who have the resources or could learn or could pay someone if they didn't want to do it themselves and they choose not to. And I cannot understand their thought process because to me, if someone came up to me and was like, oh, I have this disability or I have this requirement, you know, maybe I don't speak English as a first language, you know, someone could say to me, and can I have your content in a different format? To me, I'd be like, oh, I'm I'm really sorry, you know, because I fundamentally care about other human beings. So, it's really shocking. And I, I do think this surprises non-disabled people. They cannot imagine that we have to deal with this. And it's something we deal with all the time. It's true. And I think in large businesses, you're talking about a couple of different things because you may have a company that builds an extremely large software product. And let's say it's a business to business situation or you're building an operating system or something that has hundreds of developers working on it. Well, accessibility might or might not be one of the tasks that's been given to that development group, but it might not be perceived as the money-making task. So in, in large organizations where you're trying to prioritize the, the tasks that people do, sometimes accessibility gets short shrift. And that's not my argument against it. That's my argument for it. And the argument that inertia and business sometimes trumps doing the right thing. And the last thing I would say there, though, is that what, what your, your examples where you're saying to a developer, please do the right thing, make your product more accessible, that means I can be your customer. Otherwise, I can't be your customer. Oh, yeah. There's so many things. So actually, I was buying um, some smart scales yesterday. I was I really wanted smart scales to sync with my phone because I was like, I track all my health data in my phone's app. And I, I really wanted some scales because talking scales are notoriously bad. And I also don't want it yeah. just yelling at me all the time. So I, I looked on Amazon and my first thing was, well, let's see, when I find a scale, I'll download the app to take a quick look and see if it's accessible. And actually, the first one I found, the app wasn't accessible at all. So I was like, well, I'm not even going to bother buying this product then. So they already lost a customer. And OK, I'm only one person. And maybe, you know, as, as blind people, we're a fairly low incidence disability, but still they're losing customers and they they should care. 
Well, let's talk about what people can do and, and have traditionally hmm. done to make things ex- websites accessible. And I'm speaking of, there are, there are website standards out there, the WCAG standards from the WC3 that give people guidance in terms of sort of be- basic standards and best practices. Can, can you talk about what those standards uh, address and, and what web developers need to do in order to implement them, just as an overview? Yeah, so those standards are quite comprehensive and they've been through kind of several adjustments. So they were first created in, I'm going to get the year wrong, I'm, it's either 98 or 99, I can never remember. Um, Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> as you can imagine, the internet was very different back then and what HTML could do was very different back then. Our expectations of websites were different, you know, if the majority of people were well, I think basically everyone was on dial-up. So, you know, we were looking at very different content. Whereas um, their most recent change that I'm going to say around 2017, and they're working on another update at the moment, I believe. And what they essentially do is they kind of look at all the different components of what you might need to do. And they're based on four principles. Um, so we, the acronym we use is PAW. A perceivable, operable, I'm, understandable, robust. I always go. get this wrong. Um, and it's funny because I have to use it at work every single day. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Um, and, and what they kind of look at is how people interact with content on the web. And so they break this down into these kind of four areas. And so it might be something like all links on a page must be able to be activated with keyboard access only. And so what you can do when you're building a website is you can look at these guidelines to kind of assess whether what you're building is accessible and to kind of look at as a roadmap. They're not the be all and end all of accessibility. What they are is a starting point. And if you think, well, I think this would make my content more accessible and it's not in these guidelines, do it. You know, it's it, they're not the only way. Um, but what they do is they help us assess how accessible content is and they help developers as well. Right, because you can test against the WCAG standards, whether a, an HTML page or whether a, a content of an entire site mm-hmm. meets those standards, and you can find where mistakes might be, just as you would run code on your, your site to find out whether you had broken links or images that were missing or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. And my kind of how I look at it is if you meet those standards it doesn't mean your content is the most amazingly accessible content in the world but it probably means most people have a decent chance of accessing it whereas if you don't meet those standards you've excluded people so as i said they're not the be all and end all but they're a fairly good indicator of how well you're doing and i'll put a link to the current WCAG standards in the show notes so people can take a look at them. They're actually fairly easy to understand. Mm-hmm. They address, as, as you said, things like uh, the behavior when you when you click on a link or when you in, when you activate, when you interact with a link, they address uh, headings and they address tables and how, how content would be read by a screen reader, how content would be uh, viewed visually in terms of contrast. There, there's a whole variety of things that these standards do at, as a beginning point. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by the Inside Track. You know what? I love to listen to some new podcasts. In fact, I have sort of a podcast addiction problem, but you don't want to hear about that. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, try the Inside Track with host and resident car guy, Carrie LaBelle. 
The show features interviews with industry experts, insiders, and analysts covering the long-term trends, evolving expectations of consumers, and the effects of technology advancements on industry strategies. Each show covers a variety of topics, including AI and BI use in automotive manufacturing, connected vehicles, cloud simulations, intelligent infrastructure. And guests include people from Audi, Toyota, Anata, Ansys, SBD Automotive. So I listened to an episode about cloud simulation in development of cars, and that was pretty cool because it sort of turned a discussion of what we think of as building cars into how we simulate the building of cars and the creation of infrastructure that makes autonomous vehicles possible. So it was pretty interesting. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The Inside Track wherever you get your podcasts or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to The Inside Track from Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So now we get to, and this is sort of a long, purposeful introduction to the topic for today, which is accessibility overlays, because it's important to sort of set the groundwork of what are we trying to get done and what are the tools that we have in our tool chest. Well, there's a thing that's come along recently called an accessibility overlay that goes beyond simply auditing a site to figure out whether it meets accessibility standards or doing usability testing, but it's an automated tool that uses artificial intelligence to not only determine whether a site is accessible, but to change the code in a way that is accessible according to the standards of the AI that the overlay was created with. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Yeah, that that's a pretty good description of what they do. Okay. And do you, just as a matter of principle, feel like an overlay could be a good tool if it were implemented well and implemented in conjunction with other tools, or, or do you think it's a slippery slope before we even get to some of the ones that are problematic? I think it's very, very complicated because on the one hand, what we're saying to people is, well, you don't have to bother building accessible content. You can just kind of slap this overlay on and it will hopefully work. But you don't really know if it is going to work, you know, and then if it doesn't work, well, that business then could still face a lawsuit or, you know, face some very upset customers. And and if they're, this is a business that wants to do the right thing, you know, they still may have to then completely rewrite their code to make it accessible when they could have just made it accessible from the start. So I think it's problematic in that sense. Am I against AI entirely? No, I'm absolutely not. I think that as AI advances, I don't think we're there yet, but I think, you know, I, I look at what we were doing 20 years ago and I'm like, oh, we didn't have smartphones, you know? And, and now I, I just think, well, what will we have in 20 years time? So I think we never know what's going to happen in the future. And I do think AI will enable us as blind people to access things we haven't been able to access before. I'm thinking of things like images and really advanced image detection, and it's just not there yet. Actually, the image detection we have simply isn't good enough, but I hope one day it will be. Well, that's interesting because the overlays that we're talking about are on the server side, but there are AI tools like image detection, uh, like text recognition and, and attempts to describe web pages based on the way the AI sees them mm. that are on the user side, right? So app iOS does a little bit of this and there are other ways that you can, as a user, use AI to get more information about a web page than you otherwise would have. I'm not going to say it makes it completely accessible. And it also has to be in combination with the operating system 
uh, providing some accessibility tools, whether it be speech or whether it be contrast or whether it be some sort of ability to, to control motion for folks who have a, a cognitive issue with that. Um, but let's talk about the the server side, so or the the uh, the developer side. So so typically, an accessibility overlay would be purchased as, as a service by a business who would like to make their website accessible. They may want to make it accessible for the right reasons, or they may fear lawsuits. And so they're buying access to this AI-based software. Which will then, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, will actually rewrite some of the code on the website in order to make it, as I say, accessible according to the rules of the AI. Yeah, and and what it well, it depends which one they're using because there are different ones out there. So some will allow the website to present as usual, but then when activated, will change how the code appears. So then it will change what happens you know, in the browser for the end user. So yeah, it does alter it that in theory, it should be more accessible to end users. And is it based on whether you have a screen reader or some sort of other assistive technology enabled? That is a very complicated question. So I'm not privy to the code behind these products. Right. However, um, what from what people seem to be finding out is that if you're running assistive technology, it seems to be able to detect this and kind of offer you the overlay. But usually there's a button on the website that you could click. So let's say you're not running any assistive technology, but you have dyslexia, you could click on a button that would allow you to put it into dyslexia mode. So you don't have to be running assistive tech for these overlays to to work. Right. And now I think we need to get into sort of the big reason that this has become an issue. Accessible Accessibility overlays have been around for a little while. I'm not sure exactly how long. But the, the company whose product has generated the most conversation in the accessibility community is Accessibi. Mm-hmm. And can you sort of give me an overview of, of what Accessibility Accessibi is and then what the sources of controversy have been for that particular product? Yeah, I can. So Accessibi is, um, as you say, an accessibility overlay, which can be purchased by a business. So they can pay a fee. I believe it's a monthly fee, though possibly they can pay yearly. I'm not I'm not sure of, of the ins and outs of pricing. And they can say, well, my website isn't accessible, but I would like disabled people to be able to access it. I'll buy this product. And then effectively, they only have to add one line of code to their website for the overlay to start running. And then when a user visits their website, they will be notified that the Accessibility plugin is running on that site. They can activate it and they can then view the content in a way which is accessible to them based on several different profiles which they can select. So there's a number of different profiles such as screen reader mode. Um, I believe there's one for people with ADHD, which is supposed to help with focus. There's various different modes for kind of different disability groups in theory. Um, The biggest controversy has really come from blind people and blind screen reader users, but I've also seen members of other disability groups speak about it. I think the reason blind people are speaking most openly is because we use some pretty heavy assistive technology all the time. And so we notice these things quite quickly. Um, So what's really happened is that 
when accessibility is activated, it hasn't given us the accessible experience we hoped for. And sometimes it's actually made the experience worse. And I think what's really kind of ramped up the controversy is the accessibility response. So the response has been fairly lackluster at best um, and has really caused some ill feeling within the accessibility community and within the disability community. You know, often, um, for once for a better word, there's been gaslighting going on. So a disabled person will say, well, this has been my experience. And Accessibility has since published blog posts to basically discredit these disabled people. And I'm one of them. I wrote a post about how a table wasn't rendered correctly, how it inserted headings. And they essentially said, oh, you know, that I didn't understand the difference between column headers and row headers. And that wasn't the case at all. They'd inserted HTML heading level two tags, so less H2 greater, rather, and that had nothing to do with row or column headers. You know, I understand that tables can have row headers or column headers or both. I, I'm, I perfectly well understand how a table functions. And yet their response in their blog was to basically imply that I, I just don't understand how tables work. Yeah, and, and you're right that other people have had these experiences. And, and it's a challenge because there's a way to talk about this story that is about those sort of negative interpersonal experiences mm -hmm. and those are completely valid and they've happened and I've seen them and I know other people who have had those experiences. But at, by the same token, there's also just the sort of fundamental issue of whether, in fact, it makes sites more or less accessible. Yes. And I'm going to include links, including to your posts. And I know there's some videos out there where people have shown what their experience just going forgive the expression, blind into a site with accessibility installed and what their experiences as screen reader users have been like. And accessibility is on a lot of different sites, uh, sites where people make purchases, business sites. Um, and and I think they have, they have thousands of customers. They're an extremely well-funded company. They've received millions of dollars in venture funding and have, have quite a lot of resources and, and quite a high profile in the community of people who need a solution to website accessibility, frankly. Yeah, they're very popular in the kind of marketing and tech business communities. They are not popular within accessibility spaces, I think it's fair right. to say. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I would say in these kind of tech spaces that aren't necessarily high tech, but are more about content marketing, they seem to be very popular. Um, so I've seen, you know, posts on websites that say, oh, five ways to you know, help grow your business or something in accessibility might be in, in those. How credible some of these sites are, I genuinely don't know. They could be extremely well-respected blogs in their industry. I, I'm not into the marketing space, so that's not for me to comment on, but they are extremely well-funded. Yeah, they, they have millions and millions of dollars in funding. And it's worth pointing out, too, that other companies who work in accessibility uh, remediation or auditing are often very involved in the accessibility space. They mm. often have people with disabilities on staff themselves. They participate in conferences. And, you know, th these are companies that don't necessarily have software tools. They may have an audit tool, but they're doing accessibility, quote unquote, the old fashioned way by editing the code or or something of that sort. But that's that that is striking to me, too, that accessibility has just not they, they have engaged with people. But a lot of that engagement has been as you, you know, somewhat negative as you've, you've experienced. Yes, I think a lot of their engagement has been damage control and um, they 
sadly for them actually have not done the damage control that well and I think it's just caused this situation to spiral I think they really needed to invest in someone who's maybe dealt with social media controversy before you know who isn't necessarily an accessibility person but has dealt with these kind of business issues and I think someone who really knew how to cool that social media response um but as you say they're not heavily involved actually in the what I would consider accessibility spaces, so big accessibility conferences and such. Yeah, and there is an accessibility hashtag on Twitter that's quite busy. Most of the conversation there is from people who have some issues with accessibility. For a long time, they weren't on Twitter. They eventually got on Twitter, and they have engaged in some arguments with people. Yeah. And I'm, frankly, I, I don't want to hedge my bets here. I think I have a pretty clear position, but at the same time, I have not been deeply engaged in testing the software or, or evaluating it from as a professional. And that's why I wanted to talk to you, because I, I know you've dug in a little deeper. And can, can you talk about some of the, the activism that you've done? Uh, you mentioned that you wrote a, a blog post and that you've actually tried to use Accessibility, but what, what are some other things you've been, been doing around this topic? Yes. So I decided to write this post and Really, I, I wrote it because I kind of reached a point where I felt like I should say something. Um, it started to get kind of out of hand. And actually, what I really wanted to look at was whether these overlays are the answer or not. And um, I was prepared when I wrote this post to be proven wrong and to find out that actually accessibility worked really well. You know, and I think we've got to be able to put our hands up and say, actually, I was wrong. And I think that's really important to start off with. Um what ended up happening was I, I wrote a post and then I did follow up um, and made some edits to that post as things kind of changed in the situation. Um, and I followed other people within the accessibility space who were writing about them. I did end up contributing to an article, a journalist, or actually I've spoken to several journalists who were doing research and, you know, really wanted to speak with users. But I'm also a professional in this field. I work um in the usability space and I, I i don't tangle my job with my activism so i will i will say that now you know what what happens at my job stays out of kind of my activism stuff so my work with finding out about accessibility was purely um, on my own as an activist and i i really felt like i needed to speak out about it because I do think their goal is an important one to make the internet accessible. Fundamentally, I believe with their goal, I just have a different opinion on how that goal should be achieved. And I don't think the way they're going around it is working particularly well. And I don't think it's benefiting end users. And that's very, very unfortunate. And what's more unfortunate is that there hasn't been really any productive conversation around what's supposed to happen. And I think ultimately this is because they're a business, so they need to make money from their product. They cannot turn around and say, oh yes, our product actually doesn't work because they've got all this funding to <laughs> to build this product. So I, I'm sure it's very complicated for them, but it's, it's not good for us as disabled people. So their customers obviously are the businesses who want accessibility for their sites. Yes. And so their definition of success is either going to be customers who continue to buy the product because they affirmatively have the goal of more accessible sites or customers who feel like they're protecting themselves against mm. legal action. And and if there's if there's a problem with the software, if it really doesn't work, 
that's going to open them up to criticism or perhaps legal action from those people who have had negative experiences. So it seems like that's the incentive. Like the, the incentive for business to make better products is always that the customers aren't getting what they they paid for, what they thought they paid for, which uh, unfortunately is sometimes separate than what the end user wants unless we're able to, you know, let the businesses who use that software know that it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing for us. Yes, and Accessibility have really pushed this narrative. So if you look at their website, a lot of why you should buy their product focuses on lawsuits and it focuses on compliance. So it'll say like 100% compliance or, you know, no more lawsuits or something like that. And to me, that's actually a really problematic way of approaching accessibility because yes obviously if your product is accessible you can't get sued under the ADA or the Equality Act or whatever law is present in your country so that is true but that shouldn't be why you do it you shouldn't do it to tick a box and say well I won't get sued now you should do it to make a good experience for your customers I mean we don't you know companies don't engage in branding so they don't get sued. They engage in branding so that their customers will be able to engage with their product. And it should be the same with accessibility. We shouldn't just be viewed as as a group that is a troublemakers, essentially. And I think accessibility really capitalizes on that. And then unfortunately, if you really read in their terms and conditions, which I, I went through and kind of combed through them, they don't actually take responsibility for full compliance. They do even say, we, you know, in the terms and conditions, if you really read into it, it says it may not make your product compliant. And I think that's very important to acknowledge because their front page basically screams 100% compliance. But if you read their terms and conditions, they even say that their product can't do that. So then if, if that's your goal, then what's the point? We talked about this a little bit when we were speaking generally about AI and accessibility, but do you think that there is a benefit for a product like Accessibility to provide? In other words, if they tried to do less or if they took a different approach, do you think they'd have more likelihood of, of success in actually making websites more accessible? Yes, I think there is a place for this and there's certainly a place for research. What I would have really loved to see was a product that wasn't released yet. So for them to use a lot of this funding in some really solid research and a lot of work with disabled people um, and to see how can we use AI, actually, can we build a better AI than what's out there? And I think that will be difficult given the players in the field. Um, I mean, you know, we've got Google, we've got Microsoft building AIs. So yes, I think it would be difficult. But I think actually, if you built an AI to do one specific thing, those millions could have gone towards something quite valuable. Um, unfortunately, they've pushed out a product which is trying to do many things. And as a result, in, in my experience, it's not doing them that well. What would you say to somebody who has a website? Maybe they're not an accessibility expert or don't feel like they have the time or the expertise to become one. And they want to provide accessibility to their users either because they're doing the right thing or because they have some fear of litigation. What, what would you suggest a, a business in that situation do? 
So I would say look at your content and see how complicated it actually is because I think a lot of the time people assume their content is very difficult and actually it's only difficult because of how they've written it and if from the beginning they think about accessibility they can add these things in fairly easily and they can either go about that by doing some reading or by paying a developer and yes that's going to be a certain amount of cost but actually once that foundation is in there it could still be very easy to then update and keep up to date yourself without needing to pay someone again and again and is that more or less true when you have a cms involved whether it's a wordpress or, or some other cms that is running content because some people might say oh well that makes it harder because the developer can't just <laughs> write whatever code they want to write and some people might say well it's easier because I can fix it with a plugin <laughs> it really depends which CMS so WordPress does have some fairly robust accessibility features and they do have people at WordPress who understand accessibility and there are many people you can reach out to now, if you're looking at another platform, I can't vouch the accessibility of all of them. And there are certainly these platforms that have many, many issues. So I think it's about, it really has to be based on which platform you're building it on. And I guess the advantage there is that if you know what your CMS is, when you're looking for somebody to help, you first find an expert in that CMS and then you work out toward finding somebody who's got an accessibility focus as well or would you would you think it's the reverse which which what's your thought about which way people should think about that I think I mean how I would do it would be to find someone who understands accessibility because even if they don't know about that platform the community is fairly small so they may be able to point you in the direction of someone who does know now that's just my feeling as someone who's in the community I do think if you find someone who's familiar with the platform you just have to make sure that when they say oh yes I know about accessibility that they really do know because you'll get a lot of developers who will say oh yes I I, I know and actually they don't so I, right. I you know I, I really think you've got to then do some digging and I would say that with whoever you hire for anything whether that's you know an electrician do some digging <laughs> like you want to make sure, sure they know <laughs> sign it up they're they're for real yeah Roboism is a show by Alex Cox and Kathy Campbell exploring the ways artificial intelligence, machine learning, and digital assistants are affecting our culture. Explore the humanity behind the bots that are quickly becoming a part of our everyday life at relay.fm slash roboism or wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're an end user who's had a negative experience with accessibility of any kind, or if you know that it's because of some sort of overlay if, if you have a bad accessibility experience what, what do you advise people to do i think there are several things i always advise going to the developers first or to the website help address depending on how big the business is you know if it's a small business you can probably speak directly with the developers and i've done this when when i've been using very small apps or websites and I've just sent them an email or a tweet even and said oh hey can I have a chat with you I'm a blind person and I I really love your website but I can't actually access it very well and I found a lot of people very receptive um you can send them information so you can send them the guidelines you can 
kind of outline I think it's really helpful to outline what you're trying to do and what you can't do to help them understand what the actual problem is rather than going it's not accessible I think it's really useful to say when I try and add a product to my bag the add to bag button isn't possible to be interacted with using the keyboard and I think those kinds of things just really help them understand what the issues are um, I think it's always good to follow up with people and check where they're at and check if they need anything. I do think sometimes, unfortunately, people won't be receptive and you have to decide whether pursuing it further is going to be worthwhile. And there are definitely times when I've looked at a business and I've said, you know what, actually, the, there's nothing for me to gain by pursuing this. I mean, obviously there is in terms of maybe it would be accessible, but it's likely to take far more from me in the end, all my resources, and, you know, we only have so much energy. So I think that, you know, but but if it's a big company, um, I would advise finding other people who are experiencing the same problems and forming a group because as a group, you have far more power and you have a louder voice and, um, it's harder to deny a whole group of people than it is just one person. Right. And, and obviously some accessibility hassles are less important than others. You can choose to buy a pot or a pan or a sweater from a different site. But if it's your healthcare site yes. or your work site or your bank, you may not be able to or may not want to take the trouble to to change. And that's when you have to figure out what level of activism you're comfortable with, I suppose. Yeah, sometimes it is necessity. And I think that's a really good, like, it's a very important point that, um, as you say, with things like banking, or maybe with an airline, or with train tickets, these are things that could be necessities in your life. And whilst you should be able to buy a sweater from wherever you want, you may just decide it's more energy than it's worth fighting it but for something like you know a bank you may say well actually this is my my savings this is really important exactly you know this well, is well i my... can't get it out if it's not accessible well, even if i want to change banks <laughs> yes i mean the whole principle of it the financial industry is 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 vital to our lives as as adults so i think yes i would say in those situations um you have to fight and there are lawyers who will work with you and um it's worth kind of searching for those and speaking to them and often you know a lawyer will give you some advice even if you then decide not to take out a lawsuit and I would say always try and resolve it without going to court for your own sake you know like really for your own sake yeah going to court I don't think is anybody's idea of a first resort and oh, no. the chances even even for those people who are all about some sort of payday at the end that is a, an incredible long shot and is less common than the popular press would like you to think i believe i believe yes so i'm i'm going to put a lot of links in the show notes including to the accessibility standards and to some of the discussion online about accessibility including in yours and some other people who have been writing and talking about this subject and and some videos are there any resources that you would point to or any things that we didn't discuss that you think people should be aware of um I would say just that if you want to make your content accessible and you feel kind of out of your depth, then reach out to the accessibility community. Um, we're very active on social media, particularly Twitter. Um, check out kind of some accessibility conferences. There are ones that will run for free. You can even look on things like LinkedIn and find actually free events, you know, being advertised. It's always worth going to those. Um, 
check out videos that have been published for Global Accessibility Awareness Day and just speak to end users. There are many, many people who will be willing to speak to you and to kind of give you advice and point you in the right direction. Absolutely. It's a it's a very welcoming community, I have found. And Global Accessibility Awareness Day will be coming up in about a month. So there'll be lots of uh, hashtag GAAD new programming and new information out there. But there's certainly a lot of things archived from past years as well. That's a really good suggestion. And uh, speaking of Twitter and elsewhere, uh, Holly Scott Gardner, where can people find you online? You can find me in a few places. So I'm at Catch These Words on Twitter. I'm also, my website is catchthesewords.com, youtube.com forward slash catch these words. There's a theme here. Um, I would say that those are the main places to find me, not a Facebook or an Instagram user particularly. So don't look for me over there. <laughs> Consistent branding nonetheless. Yeah. Though. You can follow this show at Parallel Pods, or you can follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Find us at Relay.fm slash Parallel to subscribe or to become a Relay FM member. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with another show. Bye now. Roboism is a show by... Oh, that's a little more reverb than we need. However, it would make a great outtake. Roboism! is a show by Alex Cox and Kathy Campbell, 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 that explores how artificial intelligence, machine learning, and digital assistance affect our daily lives. I don't use the delay nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs>